for March 29th, 2023. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 778. Press F to gouge your eyes out. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I am your somewhat hoarse but enthusiastic host, Pete Fenzel, and uh, Matt Rather is, of course, jaunting about the globe on his well-earned honeymoon. We wish uh, him and his special someone the very best. Uh, but since Matt is away, that means we get to talk about things that he doesn't like. So right. I'm here with Mark Lee. Hey, Mark, how are you doing? Hey, this is me spamming the discourse button, Pete. Discourse, it. discourse, spam discourse, spam discourse, spam discourse. Yes, definitely. So this is not, I guess this isn't technically a story two-hander. Should we come up with a name for podcasts that are just you and me? Uh, PVP. PVP, nice. <laughs> 1v1 me, bro. 1v1 me. 1v1 me, bro. So yes, so Wait, Mark. Talking, hey, Matt, Matt, if you're listening to this, which uh, I assume that you are, this is like the first thing you do when this podcast drops and whatever time it is in Europe, you're like, yes, I'm listening to this. PVP, Matt, means player versus player. And it's a video game thing. Um, and I would say that you I would just casually caustically say you wouldn't understand. But kind of our aim for this is to make you understand whether you want to or not. <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to talk about some video game stuff because Matt doesn't like video games. And so we're going to talk about <laughs> them when he's not here. Uh, much the same way that we play video games when our uh, families and children are asleep. Correct. So Very much so. Ourselves. <laughs> it's the lights are out and it's dad's dad dad time. So, again, I wouldn't suggest that we are on the cutting edge of gaming per se. But uh, I think we will make an earnest go of thinking deeply and overly about where we stand in relationship to the video games we're playing right now. And some thoughts that have been ruminating and percolating for a while Mm -hmm. about a couple of different phenomena vis-a-vis these sorts of interactive electronic entertainments. Uh, Does that sound good to you, Mark? That sounds like a great plan. Um, Press F to uh, commence the podcast. (laughs) So should we just like stop and do a definition or an explanation? <laughs> Actually, yeah, that, that 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 one in itself is has a weird weird history, right? Which specific people, game was it? Was it was, uh, it was a Call of Duty game or like yeah. Medal of Honor? Or, well, something you know. Well, yeah, like, and it, there was like a there was like a yeah, there was a it's not a cutscene per se. I guess it's a cutscene, right? Where you're attending your friend's funeral. Yeah, but it becomes an interactive. It becomes a quick time <laughs> event, which yeah. is a. I, is a reference to a style of gaming, which I would trace back to Dragon's Lair because I'm super old school. The nice. Don Bluth video game, which had these buttons that you had to push, which is basically just a contest to memorize the buttons that you had to push in a certain order with a certain timing to get through this cartoon and get to the end. But the idea being that the narrative is taking place and you push buttons in order to progress the narrative. Uh, uh, this maybe wasn't a very quick, quick time event, but it was uh, pr- press F on your keyboard to pay respects to your fallen friend. Right. And that has become a meme, of course. Which, which like usually like when you're prompted that the game, it's like press F to throw the switch to electrify the grid and shock your enemies or set the bomb off or something like that. But in this case, it's no press F to pay respects, which and is that interesting. Took on, a, yeah. took on a life on its own um, in various cesspools of uh, Internet video game discourse. Uh, Reddit, Discord, and other places as uh, it's kind of a funny way to um, talk about oh all sorts of different things, right? It's very it's, it's a very malleable yeah. and adaptable term. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily cast it so negatively, but I think that might be a theme with a lot of this stuff because I I can maybe I swim in the garbage a little bit more and <laughs> thus I I don't smell it anymore. <laughs> but I mean, uh, it started out to be clear. It started with people making fun of that because it was yes. kind of ridiculous. Like press F to pay respects. Like what what the heck? 
it's so disrespectful that that's what you would do at a military right. funeral, which is a button. <laughs> but but the unexpected has happened, which is that now F is a sincere expression right. yes, of like yes, sympathy yes, yes. for loss or grief, even right. if it's in an absurd situation. Yes. It's almost like the absurdity Especially of grief. Yeah. yeah. Like, like it's like Oedipus, Oedipus is sitting there with his eyes gouged out and it's just like <laughs> F, F, F. <laughs> F F F. And it's funny because F is for failure too. So like he's you know I guess he has to die in order to really get the F. <laughs> but like uh, you know pay, pay respects F the eyes you know. Uh, and so this it's at this interesting place where the term sort of arises and people have an initial sort of reaction to it or like the moment that occasions the term uh, causes it uh, to arise. Right. And then there's a particular feeling about it and sentiment about it. That's, of course, you know, people have sentiments about things. And when they share these things, there's sort of a sense of a predominant sentiment. But then over time, the sentiment that actually takes hold based on the behavior in response to the use of this thing can be totally different. And, you know, and I think that that's uh, video games is one of the fun places to observe terms like this that might start having a particular sort of meaning. But then over time, you can see how they change. And in particular, you can see how they how people meld mold them to fit the usages that they need like what do i need to be able to articulate and what term is available for me to use it like what word can i add a definition to what term can i slightly adjust um it reminds me of uh uh there's a famous um interview with richard Feynman. i've probably talked about before we talked about magnetism have you seen this interview mark i don't think so no so he's an interview from back in the day with the with the uh, physicist Richard Feynman, where he someone's trying to get him to explain what happens when magnets attract or repel each other, and he makes the point that what is the you know the purpose of explaining this thing would be to relate it to something that is more familiar to you than magnets are. That there is not a greater truth value to saying that like the magnets like each other and are pulled towards each other or the, you know, the, the same poles, you know, they dislike each other because opposites attract, right? Like that doesn't actually teach you more about what the how magnets work. It's not more true than just saying like, you know, the polarity of magnets causes attractive and repulsive forces, but you seek to explain things by relating to things that are, that are more familiar. And, and so, uh, but if you truly want to, comprehend the terms in a scientific basis you have to accept that at some point you reach the bottom of your familiarity or at the same time you change you know what you know different people might have different standards for what their familiarity might be um but the idea of like well i want to this is sort of runs the other way i have a thing and i want to relate it to something that's familiar to me you know, i have a feeling uh, about a particular moment in a twitch stream in which a character died and i felt both sad and also kind of laughing but mostly sad you know and so uh, uh or even like there's a moment on a twitch screen where like you know somebody announces that their pet guinea pig has died and like you feel an earnest outpouring of grief but it exists in a in a you know, semiotic video gaming space. And so then all of a sudden going down the list, it'll be like F, 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 F. Right? Oh, that's <laughs> you, interesting. Yeah. In reference to like the death of this imaginary person in this other video game where the F was initially thought to be like dismissive of veterans and, and memorial memories of the past soldiers and stuff. Disrespect for things that are very serious. And formal. Is, is that a hypothetical or exam uh, that you put out there? Or is that something that actually happened on Twitch stream you watched? Uh, I, I'm, I think so. Like I'm, I'm, I'm cobbling together a few different memories. Um, but yes, there, there is a Twitch stream that I watch in which 
a uh, Twitch streamer's gerbil died and was a very beloved figure on the Twitch stream. Uh, he had a cam that you would uh, take. This is a Magic the Gathering stream. And so he would he would he lived in shavings of, of Magic the Gathering. Um, uh, this was if you ever watched uh, Jim Davis's stream. He was a recent like top five at the world championships. Uh, but he had a stream where he had a, a gerbil. I think it was a gerbil. Oh, it was a hamster. I think it was a hamster. I never know how to tell them apart. Hamsters, gerbils. I know guinea pigs are bigger. I think it was a hamster. And he and he died. And I think people might have typed F in the chat to pay respects to him at some point. But I won't tell you that that definitely happened. Sure. I mean, I mean it, um, it feels correct, though, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's if the kind I of thing watching, that if I were watching that twist twi- stream, yes, I would absolutely press F. I mean, it's an example of what I just said. I'm, like, reaching for a familiar example, to like, familiar terminology to explain something that, and contextualize and express something that feels unfamiliar to me. So, you like, know, another, you know, yeah. You know, it's very familiar to all of us in our lives. It's it's a force that binds us, surrounds us, holds yeah. the galaxy together, is cheese. Uh, yo, you want to talk about cheese? Yeah, let's talk about cheesing. It's yeah. a great term. I love cheese. I did a little okay. bit of, I did a tiny bit of research for this. Cause Good. I I, I'm hoping you, you, you give me the, the etymology of this because like I'm kind of turning it over my head and like I have some theories of it and I'll give them to you and then you can tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong or not. So let me preface all this by saying that um, the game that I'm playing right now, when I say the game, I really mean the game because all I have my time in my life for these days with my two small children is to play a game really at a time is yeah. uh, Jedi Survivor. Right now, you might remember few years ago on this podcast recorded me like complaining bitterly about how difficult <laughs> Jedi Fallen Order yeah. was. Um, you didn't get, get to hear how on the second, third, and fourth playthroughs of it, I got much, much better <laughs> at this game. And by the time I, I finished the, the the fourth time through in preparation for the sequel, I was actually, dare I say, I got good. Oh. Um, and, and Matt Rather, by the way, that's a very specific video game term. Uh, G-U-D. Uh, oh, yes. Good. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I had sufficiently mastered the game so that it was no longer like uh, sweatingly and difficult. Um, so fast forward anyway to, to back to uh, you know 2023, playing Jedi Survivor, um, and I'm coming across one or two very very difficult bosses. Right at that level of like you know you're playing a uh, Souls like or a, a game in the style of Dark Souls. When you're playing a game like that where you die and you try again and you die and try again. And it, it it establishes this vicious cycle of like a perverse reward um, and punishment um, mm-hmm. that you feel like just doing it again is going to get you out of it. Right. Um, but I keep dying over and over and over again. And um, I, I in, in, in a discord uh, chat group uh, that, that for, for my uh, Star Wars video, that originally started as my Star Wars video game thing, but it's going to grow and come out of stuff anyway. Um, uh, it came up that like, oh, what you can do is to beat this boss is to just cheese it. And in this context of it is that instead of being a, uh, you know, uh, super competent Jedi Knight and use your lightsaber and your force and this kind of stuff, the strategy to cheese it is literally pull out your blaster and just shoot the enemy uh, at range. Um, and it makes the the fight substantially easier. And there's another instance of this game. This is a very, very mild spoiler where you're going up against the Rancor. Pete, you're familiar with the Rancor, right? Uh, yes, from the Book of Boba Fett. Yep. Uh, or, or more, yes, contemporary the Book of Boba Fett, from, right? Uh, from, uh, yeah, Emmy Award winning television beast. phenomenon, the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. Yes. Like a panther. Like a panther. Very canonically, the Rancor can kill you in one swipe, right? Picks you up, stuffs you in its mouth, chomps you, and kills you. Instead of doing that, you can cheese it by grabbing this uh, thing from the environment uh, and just lobbing it and throwing it at the Rancor at range and the ranker can't even uh, reach you from this particular vantage point and you do this for about five minutes and just kind of like run around 
pick up the thing, throw it, repeat that about 30 times, and you can beat the boss. So those are both like pretty good examples of cheesing it, at least in like the context of a single player game. And um, there's lots of things to talk about here. Like there's the etymology of it, but like before we get to that, just like quickly, like um, I think you're supposed to feel a little guilty for doing it. It is not um, certainly not like the challenge as it was intended, right? Again, like being a super competent Jedi Knight and you know blocking and using the Force and jumping around, doing all this fancy stuff. It's just like very sedately lobbing um, uh, like slime grenades at a huge beast and killing it that way. So there's that aspect of it. But then just like, like since we know we're talking about the video game discourse with the capital D here, um, I want to just like throw my theories out here for what the origin of this is and yeah. see if this like, is it all anywhere close to it? Okay. Right. So like cheesing it, like the closest like thing that comes to mind is something being described as cheesy, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, if, if pop culture is cheesy, then it is kind of overly emotional and manipulative and it's like kind of like taking some shortcuts to um, to accomplish something um, in a way that feels like distasteful. Um, and then that kind of gets, that goes back to the food metaphor aspect, right? Like if, <clears throat> if it's distasteful, if it's cheesy, then like it's like maybe it, it kind of tastes good at first, but then it becomes like sour um, and otherwise just kind of, you know, um, run at the end. And so um, some discursive jumps must have happened and that turned into what I just the phenomenon I just described before, right? Which is doing something that is not intended as a shortcut, um, subverting intention um, to get uh, an outcome quicker or easier, but doing it in a quote unquote wrong way. Pete, is any of this at all sort of correct? So to the best of my definition, you're on the right track, Okay, but it okay. goes through a lot of permutations before it gets there uh, because it's, it's also isn't the only meaning that right. cheese has in video games. And I would venture to say that one side of it, and again, this is, I'm, we're trying to be descriptive more than prescriptive here. So I'm not telling you this is definitely what it means. This is more like through our exploration of it and our experience, we want to talk through what we we have come to use it as and what we think it means, right? And we're going to try to construct, put back together something of a definition of that as a sort of self-examination. Um, but my, my sense related to what I was saying before is that the term cheese gets applied in video game situations uh, relative to the need for it. That there are different sorts of play patterns that might happen in video games and the word cheese fits them in various ways. And then so people might use that word because it fe- it's the familiar word from the other game that they played. Even if the situation doesn't have some of the essential characteristics that you might have applied to make the original definition make sense. So like something that is cheesy in one game may not be cheesy in another game. And the essential characteristics that separate say a cheese from a exploit, right? Like, like there might be a distinction in a particular game Mm, between things that are cheesy and things that are exploits. So like, for example, quickly, like you say, this is cheesy when I'm cheesing it, I'm doing something that is cheesy. I'm being cheesy. Is that yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of different uh, parts okay. of speech. I mean, I I hear the actual noun the most, which is cheese, but that's because of the games I play. So uh, let me let me you want me to parse through some of the specifics for some of the games to kind of ring yeah. the changes on this a little bit. Sure thing. Okay. So the most common game that I've played over the years that uses this term a lot is StarCraft. Uh, and of course, StarCraft, while not tremendously popular now, is a sort of foundational game in the history of esports. It is not where this term comes from, but um, 
it is, uh, it is, I think, one of the places where this term was popularized, and it has a particular meaning that is different from the meaning that you're talking about in Jedi Fallen Order, right. which is like right, right. to to beat this boss in this uh, in this way that sort of. Well, I'll go into what I mean there when I go through and redefine. Uh, I'll say that again after I go through and kind of redefine terms a little bit. In StarCraft, you're you know you're playing a fight right between two different factions, and it's a strategy game, so you have little soldiers that run around. And uh, it's in fog of war. You can't see the other person. You can't see their soldiers unless your soldiers come in contact with them or your buildings are close to them, right? You can't you can't see what the other one is doing. And there's a lot of complex rock, paper, scissors where it's like this kind of soldier beats that kind of soldier and this kind of soldier beats that kind of soldier. You know, there are aliens and machines and planes. They're not all soldiers. But you get the idea that, like, if, if, if you know what your opponent is doing with enough time and capacity, you can potentially counter what your opponent is doing. And a lot of the game is reacting acting in real time to like what your opponent is doing. A yep. cheese in StarCraft is when often exploiting the fog of war, the fact that your opponent doesn't know what you're doing, you do something that requires a very specific response. And if you respond to it in that way, it loses. But if you don't, then it has a high probability of success. That that is that is what I would say a cheese is in StarCraft, where the classic one is cannon rushing, which means like going to your opponent's base and building a bunch of defensive cannons in their base to kill <laughs> their base at the beginning of the game. Which if you, which if you, it's like so it, yeah. important to StarCraft history, the idea of cannon rushing, right? And I think to video game history in general, cannon rushing is is a kind of a, a thing. It's a it's a it's a nexus of uh, influences. Uh, but yes, you can go to your opponent's base and you can build little things in their base and you want to build things that are kind of out of sight so they can't see them. And then you want to chain and like build from there to something that they could see. But if they if you build it and they don't respond to it quickly enough or the right way, then they lose. Um, and uh, but but the, the payoff for this is you've built no army. So like if you survive it, you know, then the now and you can talk about all the different times that cannon rushing was actually legit strategy versus just cheese. It was just going to lose if the opponent knew what to do or scouted you or knew what was going on. But this idea that uh, the that you're it's in a two player game and that the thing that you're doing requires a particular response and and you can't and the other person doesn't respond to it in the particular way. They, they just behave as if you're not doing something different. They behave in the standard way when you're acting in a non-standard way is another way in which cheese operates. Now, with regards to like the AI boss in Jedi Survivor or Jedi Fallen Order, you're, this is in Jedi Survivor. Sur- boss, yeah, but it, it applies to Fallen Order the same. Yeah. 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 So like you're exploiting the fact that this boss can't respond to this unconventional tactical choice that you've made, which yep. is to like not let them hit you, like stand far away and chuck things at them. Right. Which is a very, very common way to cheese things in <laughs> uh, in this particular kind of game. Yep. You know, like the boss might have a particular area. There might be like a hill you can get them stuck on where they can't walk down off of it or like they can't reach you because you're on the hill. I have a high ground Anakin, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but yeah, so like there's that element of it. You know, League of Legends, I know, you know, uses this term to refer to, a, you know, a champion pick uh, where you pick a character and they pick a character and you're going one on one in the context of your five on five game. And there's an expected way that this matchup is supposed to play out. But if you build your items in a particular unconventional way, then they have to respond to it in a different way. Because you're doing something unexpected and different or unconventional and different, even if it's expected. And if they don't respond, they lose. But if they do, then you're disadvantaged. Right. That's that's like one of the definitions of cheese. However, if you go back further, I think I think the earliest that I found 
and I think that you know if you Google, you might find this too, is that it was used heavily to describe original Street Fighter II. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Was not expecting is, that. Interesting. Yeah. Pre, exactly. Pre-internet discourse. Yeah. Pre this. Well, there's some on Usenet and stuff, but yeah, it's pre-internet discourse yeah, yeah, also yeah. around uh, around Street Fighter II. Some of it is recorded on the internet, but it's clearly uh, an excerpt from real life conversations. And in a Street Fighter II match, a cheesy strategy involves playing a very simple and repetitive strategy, and it carries both meanings that we've talked about and a couple of others that unite different definitions of cheese and the influence that you're talking about. At least it's been proposed by people that this is where the influence comes from. So, so for example, if you like do the Blanca character, the sort of feral Brazilian monster, and you just have him like roll at the other person over and over again, or like M. Bison is sort of zipping back and forth across the screen over and over again. If, if a, uh, you know, these kinds of moves in fighting games, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't know how to respond to that, you can just you can win the game. You can cheese someone out by just doing that over and over again. And if they don't know what to do about it, then they'll lose. This to be is, clear, uh, it it yeah. can be countered. Of course, there there are counters to it. Although I can't speak to the original Street Fighter II's relative balance, other than to say it wasn't balanced, uh, and that there were definitely, by modern standards, big big flaws and OP things that you could do. I don't know what they were off the top of my head. Um, hey, Matt, but, OP, OP means overpowered. Yeah, sorry. So, yeah, OP <laughs> refers to things that are overpowered in the context of the expectation that the choices you have um, in, in a game represent legitimate options for gameplay. Well, also the <laughs> right. expectation that the game is going to be balanced. Well, that's what I mean, right? right? And But yeah. balance in this context means is you can choose different things and you can still have a comparable shot at victory yeah. by making yep. different choices. It's not, if not balanced. If you have to make the same choice or same few choices in order to win, uh, you know, that, that, that means the game is unbalanced uh, or, or and a particular choice that you have to make in order to have a chance of winning might be described as OP or IMBA overpowered or imbalanced. Right. Um, but yeah, so in street fighter two, these moves, uh, I think by modern standards, I think some of them would have counters. I think some of them actually are legitimately OP, and and that's there's kind of an overlap between things that are cheesy uh, because you know the the other player doesn't know how to respond to them versus things that are cheesy because they literally don't have a really good response because of the way the game balances right now. Uh, and I think both can be described as cheese, but there's a, a slightly different sense. But the sense in Street Fighter Two that's relevant here is that the cheesy strategies as described in like the early literature are repetitive strategies. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like do the same move or same two moves over and over and over again. We were doing this research on the back channel and Jordan Stokes brought up the great question, which was, well, does it have to be repetitive? You can cheese the fight in Final Fantasy VI against the ghost train by bringing the ghost train back to life with a phoenix feather, like a phoenix down, right? And, and you beat it in one hit. Isn't that also cheese? And it is. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah I say it would be, yeah. Although it's also intended. So... That's a great example. We'll, we'll go through it a couple ways. You can, I think it would be reasonable to describe that as cheesing the fight because you end the fight in a way that like isn't the way the story really intends for you to end the fight. And it's much, it's a boss fight. It's an easy way to beat the boss. There are certain games in which it's really important that cheese is unintentionally, it's unintentional to the designer of the game. You know, so like if you're playing in Mario, if you're doing a Mario ROM hack and Mario's jumping around and he's bouncing off shells, he's doing all sorts of crazy tricks. And you find that there's a spot where he can actually jump over a wall and skip an entire section uh, that would require you to go kind sort of under the wall. Um, that might be cheese, but it's only cheese if it's unintended. Is uh, that cheese? Right. See, like th that's like um, 
glitch uh, exploiting a glitch of some sort no like, no, 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 no. skipping um, like a huge part of it like cheesing to me like an essential part of cheesing is um defeating someone right whether it's a, a player opponent or an opponent is that is so, that fair to incorporate that in the definition uh well as i was saying there's not the definition in sure. mario the word cheese like when people play Mario ROM hacks and they refer to cheese, they were referring to an opportunity within a level to bypass the intended play pattern of the level by by. Huh. I mean, you, I don't want to use the word exploiting because exploit implies a software failure of some kind. And what this really means is the level is designed in such a way that Mario can overcome the obstacle in a faster uh, in a faster way. And an easier way than what's intended. Now that yeah. wouldn't be cheese in Jedi uh, fall, uh, Jedi Survivor, right? Um, but it would be cheese in like a Mario ROM hack. So the word is slightly different. Well, I don't um, think there's not there's, as far as I know, there aren't opportunities to do that on the maps. Of, yeah, of I mean Jedi there Survivor, might be, and they went which, which is why like my 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 perspective on it is very narrow. So yeah. and again, different. I don't want to speak to. But I'm more just speaking about it descriptively from like the streams I watch and the YouTube channels I watch. That like in those circles, the term is so often used. I mean, the if you were to write a, di- a dictionary definition, you would probably write different definitions, and you would understand that the different definitions don't always coexist and that they might be used in different circumstances. Yeah. So before, before we keep cut talking, I'm packing cheese, uh, yeah. even further. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> oh, I just continue to carve out the rind on this huge <laughs> Parmesan Reginato wheel of cheese, uh, that we have before us. Um, before we keep doing that, um, can you just, uh, uh describe ROM hack? Like I have a, a, a sense in my mind. Oh, that sure. Might be, um, which is like playing the game through an emulator and like maybe like manipulating the ROM in some kind of way. Um, is that what's going on or, or is it something different? Uh, well, I can't necessarily speak to how you make one, but I can talk about the the uh, the game genie. And it, so so there was a lawsuit involving the game genie. Uh, you know, are you familiar with the game genie? Yeah, it was just like a cartridge um, add on thing that you would stick onto your Nintendo or Super Nintendo cartridge and it would allow you to basically cheat. Yes. Right. Do, do, like uh, perform things uh, in a way that the game absolutely was not originally intended to. Yeah, be. exactly. You could play a game with infinite lives. You could be invincible. You could jump over stuff. You, you would you would plug your cartridge into this device and you would plug this device into your console and it would give you the power to do that sort of thing. And there was a lawsuit trying to stop Game Genie uh, claiming that they were interfering with the intellectual property of the video game like the, by doing this. And I think what it was de- what was determined was that the person owns the video game. They bought the cartridge. Right. So like that video game is theirs and they're playing it. So you can't you can't tell them that they're playing their cartridge the wrong way. <laughs> right. Like that's the, the their genie cartridge now. The judge. The genie is already out of the bottle. And one of the implications of this is that you could take a uh, a cartridge of, say, Super Mario World. Right. And then you could, you know, uh, you could hack it. Right. You could you could change the coding of the ROM in some way. Which, I mean, it would generally be through software, I would assume, rather than, like, installing a new chip, right? Like, running it through a system uh, that would do that. And again, I don't know how to make a ROM hack. But the point is that if you own a copy of the original uh, Super Mario World, then it's legal for you to play a modified version of Super Mario World. And and uh, the video game uh, companies have generally not gone to the mat over this to try to stop it because it helps them. But the con- the precedent that people rely on is the Game Genie precedent where it's like, I own this game. You know, and I and I can modify the way the game plays on the console that I also own, uh, and, and so a ROM hack operates off of that philosophy. Okay, it's so like, if it's like the cheesing it and what you described it before 
is not something you can do if you just stick the Nintendo cartridge into your old school Nintendo and play it. It must be through the ROM hack. Well, the difference, the the reason that it would come up in a ROM hack rather than in the original Super Mario world is the difference in design philosophy between the games that you would often play when you're playing a Mario ROM hack versus the games that you would play if they were designed by Nintendo. And this would be true of most platformers that have a, a sort of official version that's that then also have a community that makes modified versions of it. And then, but this is barring things like Celeste or Hollow Knight, which are out of the ROM hack tradition of how a platformer is supposed to work versus the official tradition. And the, the main thing is it's much harder, right? So there's like a famous Mario ROM hack called Kaizo, uh, which which started this sort of tradition of Mario games that are insanely hard, you know, and, and they are full of troll if hidden blocks. You try to the classic Kaizo move is you're trying to jump over a pit and you hit a hidden block above the pit and it instantly kills you. Right. And it's like a very trollish thing to do. Nintendo people people, do volu- people voluntarily choose to have this experience. They choose to play it. It's actually much more fun to watch someone else do it. So (laughs) like watching Kaizo Mario streams is like a form of entertainment (laughs) that I engage in. Uh, And Mario Maker, you know, the and Mario Maker 2, which are official Nintendo games, but that let people build their own levels, uh, has latched on to not latched on to, but has sort of also joined in and, and provided an official avenue of expression in this particular hobby. Though you don't have the same freedom that you have when you're making a ROM hack. Uh, yeah, but yes, okay, okay. like if you want to if you want to really play a hardcore Mario game, someone's made one and you can play it. Uh, but but it's going to be different because it's usually going to be really, really hard. It's going to involve a bunch of I mean, these are if they're Kaizo. There are ROM hacks that are not Kaizo and are more traditional. But in these games, imagine Mario is trying to progress from left to right. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. That's let's well, don't imagine that. That's what has to happen most of the time. <laughs> right. Mario has to progress from left to right. And Mario uh, will have to negotiate various jumps to do this. And what you want to have happen is to require very fast reflexes or a lot of practice. In fact, more than just reflexes, you're going to have to go through this thing and die many, many times to finish it, which would mean that there have to be things that happen faster than you can react to them in real time that you then have to kind of figure out a strategy for, execute the strategy successfully Right. And then like chain it together. So you're executing this strategy, like different strategies for the different obstacles, all in a sequence, all in one go to get through the level. It's like like composing like a very complex piano sonata uh, that's very fast and then also memorizing it and just like being able to like bang it out and sit down. Yes. And it's very similar because once you've done it, I mean, you watch the people once they do it once or twice, they can do the whole level much more easily than they could from the beginning. Because there's something about the way that the mind, the brain, and the hands all work together to, uh, you know, program yourself to, like, it's basically you become your own Mario GPT, right? To, like, you train. <laughs> it's, it's learning. It's training. I love how I'm using chat GPT. Richard Feynman would be proud as the more familiar example of right. learning something <laughs> by practicing it, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> muscle memory and such. Um, and so, but, but, Imagining a level like this, you can imagine Mario is going up and down a lot while he's also going sideways. He's going up and down multiple times in the same area. He There are going to be lots of spikes a lot of the time because any mistake needs to kill you, right? So, like, there might be a ceiling. There might be a wall you can't get over. Like, there have to be active measures put in place in the game a lot of the time to prevent you from letting the game be too easy. They're not just going to give you a raccoon tail or a cape to fly over the level. Right. Like that's they, they will control the power ups you get. They will control when you get them. So like and and and, uh, and so 
uh, you might be able to cheat. One here's another example of how you might cheese a level other than just like jumping over an unintended wall. There might be a situation where you have to grab a bunch of shells from a Koopa or from a Buzzy Beetle and and bounce them off of a wall and jump on them after you've bounced them off the wall. Classic shell jump, classic Mario Romhack move to get over the wall. Hmm. And then you even there are even ways that you have to chain these where like you throw one shell up, then you jump. You knock one shell against the wall, you jump up, you grab the other shell, you jump that one against the wall, you jump up again, and there's sort of like double and triple shell jumps and all these shell tricks you can play. If the designer of the level miscounts the number of shells or arranges the level in such a way that not all the shells have to be disposed of, it is very possible in a lot of instances to go from one part of a level into another part of a level while carrying a shell. Because Mario doesn't take the shell away from you. The game doesn't make you lose a shell when you go through a pipe. So if there's a first section and a second section, and the two sections are meant to be played independently, and they both involve shells, and you're able to get a shell out of the first section and into the second section that you weren't supposed to get out, this might give you an option for bypassing an obstacle much more easily than you would have done otherwise. And you would then be described as having found cheese. (laughs) yes i love it oh that's so so in this context finding cheese isn't looked down upon or bad like having a really obvious cheese in your level that you made is a sign of lack of quality right and it's sign of lack of attention to detail but finding a really difficult cheese or not even difficult but clever cheese right like finding outsmarting the level in such a way that you're able to bypass some of the really difficult challenges of it is not seen as bad and is actually part of the vocabulary it's i would say this it's not seen as bad outside of the context in which it happens the judgment of whether it is good or bad is going to be based on other factors that are in play right uh and so in this case cheese is not always bad it's like shoddy but your adults playing mario it's like gonna be shoddy (laughs) like there's things about that are sloppy right like what are we all doing here is one of the big questions but like so that's an example of of cheese that has a very different definition than like okay i'm gonna like go i'm in witcher right and and i'm just gonna like sit back behind this particular rock that the enemy can't go past and hit them when they are not looking at me right like that's time on tradition time yeah yeah it's something like that there's there's another example i pulled together from pieces that might not go together um so there's an added dimension to this definition of cheese finding cheese and it may think of a clever mouse working its way through a maze yeah right which is much more positive than the definition that i started out with to your well that is not necessarily looking down upon i think so i think based on what i've read and again i might be wrong here that that originally it refers to the fact that the gameplay patterns in street fighter 2 uh, that we're describing before, where you're doing the same thing over and over again, and if your opponent doesn't respond re- re- respond to it in an effective way, you win. Um, is ta- is similar to a cheesy movie in that it is repetitive and derivative and low quality, and so the okay. and so, and so okay. like you're not respecting the person that's doing it, and what they're doing is cliche and uncreative, uh, mm. and repetitive and dull, right, and uninspired. Um, got and, it. Got it. And, okay. Yeah. So, like in that case, of course, you're operating in a video game discourse where optimal play is not well known. Like people don't know the best way to play Street Fighter Two at this time, which is probably involves like a death combo you can do from neutral, right? Like uh, in the very <laughs> first Street Fighter Two or whatever it is. Um, but and again, again, I'm not a Street Fighter Two scholar. I know enough about Street Fighter Two to know how little I know about Street Fighter Two. But I would suggest that that 
coming out of Street Fighter 2, you're dealing with a term that refers to it being insulted for being dull, uncreative, uh, you know, dull, uninspired, uncreative. And then it takes on this extra meaning of being easy to do and also requiring an appropriate response or else it's going to win. And then from there, it carries on this idea that not just a person, but an AI needs to respond to it in an appropriate way or else you're going to win, which then takes on this idea of I'm exploiting the boss's behaviors, right? I'm exploiting the power overpowered items in the game. Uh, you know, I, I am I am exploiting the game mechanics uh, again, not exploit that would refer more strictly to doing something with the software, but the word in more plain English. Then, then at the same time, it's you know carrying forward this idea that what you're doing is unfun in some way. But in the other traditions and angles of it, cheese can be seen in StarCraft. Cheese is seen as very fun. I mean, it's annoying, and people like complain about it and look down on it. But cheese games are some of the most fun games. And then in Mario, you know, stuff in Mario Run cheese is part of the game. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Often a fault more of the designer than of the player. So you have sometimes it's the player's fault, sometimes it's the designer's fault. And these are just the ones I play and watch. So like there are many, many other examples right, of right, right, right. these terms would be used. But the idea is that playing a video game and interacting with a video game creates a bunch of types of experiences and types of choices that are not typical of doing things that aren't video games that require words. And so we search for words to express what we're experiencing and describe it. And we search for familiar terms sometimes because one of the bases by which an explanation you know satisfies what we want from it is to give us a more familiar thing to relate to so that we can explain it because we're not comfortable with just saying you know magnets have an attraction or repulsive based on fields and polarity right like we want to say like magnets are pulled in opposites attract you know we want to find a way to understand uh, based on the language. So that's that's what I have to say about cheese today, about video game cheese. Great. Okay, so you, you, you cover a lot of the bases, I think, that, that I want to cover. But let's try kind of like like step back here a little bit and think about kind of like, I guess, like what we talk about when we talk about this type of discourse, right? Okay. And you start to get at this, and right? Like fundamentally, like two things are going on here that create this like really unique flowering of vocabulary um, uh, coming out of I guess let's call it this like, you know, one uh, broader culture of video games, but then like all of the very diverse subcultures of video games. Right. Which is like the interactive component of this. Um, and then the emergent behavior that comes out of the interactive interactiveness of video right. games. Right. Like um, I, I think it's fair to say that among the Simpsons watching community, like, you know, the, like there is, of course, you know, like a a you know, a whole set of slang and um, shorthand and things like that that have come out of that. But um, it is not quite at the same level of video gaming because um, we are, you know, video gamers are participating in the art, and let's call it art, right, that is being made. Um, and that also is being replicated across, like, you know, thousands and in some cases millions of people. And, um, like, this is what it is, like, the, like putting this in like my perspective here right you know having been away from like participating in video games like at the dawn of the internet area and like by and large stepped away from them and then have more recently come back into them and like you know started to read reddit a lot basically during the pandemic yeah. <laughs> about video yeah. games like you know i am to use another phrase kind of speed running um building up a vocabulary around video games and participating in video game culture and i'm just like endlessly fascinated by it um and uh you know that's like there's no 
I'm not like putting value judgments on things either, right? Like I don't think no, that's not not to say that you know anybody that, that's really coming to it at this point. Um, but you know, I guess you know like, I could see a criticism come out of this, right? Of like you know this very esoteric uh, vocabulary that is inscrutable to outsiders and also like is constantly changing and morphing and things like that, right? Like you know. Uh, I don't know. Is that is there is there a problem with that? I'm gonna ask that. That that's that's the question I have for you, Pete. Like, is there, I mean, or is this all just like you know this this is this is the culture and it's just moving at lightning speed and it has this emergent vocabulary and you know cheesing it takes on like all these different definitions and things like that and it's just kind of a, a weird and wonderful thing and full stop. It's interesting. You asked the question in a very interesting way. Is there a problem with that? For some definitions of with is what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> so. The way I would conjecture it works, and or at least one of the big things that affects how it works for me, uh, and, and um, I don't want to say affects how it works for me. That's the wrong term. Based on my own ideas, uh, the ideas I've developed from others, not just coming up with them myself. But the, you can do a lot of reading about how and why people talk. And there's a lot of different theories about how and why people talk and talk in specific ways. Some of the theories that resonate most with me that I, I feel seem that seem the credit the most credible based on where I've heard them, the backup re- evidence I've heard from them. One of these ideas is this sort of dual relationship with where you learn language. Uh, one being that you know you're at home and you learn it from your your parents when you're a kid, and then also you learn it from your peers, and that mostly you learn it from your peers. People think you learn language from your parents, but mostly you learn it from your peers, and that is built into how people work. Mm-hmm. And that is not something that we can change. Uh, and the there's has a lot of problems. There's a lot of ways that we wish people worked. There's a lot of painful experiences people have that would be different if we didn't learn languages from our peers instead of our parents. And if we also didn't mm-hmm. pick up language, you know, I don't want to say naturally because it would be nat- natural regardless. But if we didn't pick up language organically through experience of hearing it and using it as opposed to learning it by being taught it. Right. Like really communicating uh, is is something that I think anybody, any anybody, you know, we're talking about neurotypical people here. Obviously, there's a lot of variations in how this works and sure. you have to go way down the rabbit hole to get to the non neurotypical stuff. But but uh, as to, to talk about neurotypical people, because I think there's a lot of them. And so they're very influential in how they use language um, that uh, when you have circles of young people who are getting together to do an activity together, they are much more likely than older people to come up with new words. Uh, And a big part of why they're more likely to come up with new words is just the way that the brain is seeking out these peers, Mm. right? And like sharing language information with them and building the brain, you know, the brain is a series of networks and is building networks and connections between between the, the physical ability to speak, the physical ability to write and read and type, right? But also connecting the notions of language and grammar as they're understood and coded in different parts of the brain with the capacity to express it and such. Uh, that that new that younger people are much more likely than older people to come up with innovations in how to use language uh, because they are programming their brains to use language. Not necessarily. I, I would hesitate to attribute it mostly to their plasticity. But, you know, that's part of it. Uh, part of it is that, you know, while your skull is still expanding, and your brain is still growing. There's certain parts of your head that are closer to each other than they are when your your head is fully grown. Right. And so like your ability to 
pick up certain sorts of associative thinking skills is different when you're older because the geography of your brain is literally different. But the point being that video game slang often comes from young people and young people are already in the process of rediscovering and reinventing the language, whatever that language is. And it doesn't get changed by the fact that we're all connected. We thought it would. We thought that the fact that everybody was connected by the Internet would lead to people stop not uh, diverging in dialects, right, that they would stop you know, coming up with new accents, right, that they would that they would converge. And they and a lot of ways people focus on how they have. But in a lot of ways, they haven't. And a lot of ways people continue to diverge and regions continue to diverge. Right. And and vowels continue to change and stuff like that. Was so, that really was that really a theory that like with the proliferation of the Internet specifically? That, that that would flatten out accents. I know that was I, I wouldn't a say a theory. For, like, I would say it was a popular mass, belief. Mass media and like yeah. television. I, I, it might even be documented that it did have that effect. But maybe it's like now oh, like yeah. reversing. I think I think you can say it's it's done both. There's there's a sense that people are exposed to language through mass media in a way that they weren't before mass media. But if it's to differentiate between how are you picking up language versus how is language changing. Uh, and so okay. just the okay, idea okay. that you're all watching the same TV doesn't mean that you're all going to talk the same way forever. I mean, sure. Southern yeah, accents yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't go away when the news didn't have a Southern accent, right? Like, uh, so now granted in certain places, accents do go away, but that's also attributable to the movement of people in different places and the sort of uh, new populations that are present. Side note, we should have a podcast about accents. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and again, me. This is, I'm not a linguist. This is all second and third right, hand right, stuff right, from right. listening to lectures. Uh, I highly recommend. Um, I mean, the most recent one I watched was the one you can find on the Stanford YouTube channel about human behavior and cognitive science. Uh, that talks a lot as a two part episode on language that was really interesting language acquisition. But the point being that, like, if you have a bunch of young people who are doing this activity together and there's things that they encounter in this activity, then they're going to come up with new terms for it. Now. Are these terms, is this group going to have exclusivity as a function? Well, I guess we can ask ourselves if they're primates. Like, that's one of the obvious questions we could ask. But, like, that is also a bit of an oversimplification. We are not, you know, we are not apes. We are humans, right? Uh, but uh, the idea that, uh, you know, a social animal would form in-grouping and out-grouping relationships, I mean, it, it's almost painful to suggest <laughs> that like people need to be corrected if they don't think this happens right now. I'm not saying it's like insurmountable, right. Or that it has to happen, but the notion that in grouping and out grouping are entirely like mimetic, right. That like, if we were to stop the tradition of doing it, it would just go away. I'm extremely skeptical. Um, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, if we could only teach everybody to be universally empathetic, Right. If we could only teach everybody to treat everybody else in the world like a member of their own closest family, or if we could just do away with the concept of families entirely and make everybody aware of who they are in the grand scheme of things. And then if we were to understand those class structures and then reorganize them so that there's only one big group of people in two big leaps, we would do away with in-grouping and out-grouping. Yeah. Um, if only we could just have a good talk to every video gamer and tell them that griefing is bad. <laughs> well, you can tell them. Well, because look, you have kids. I mean, becoming a parent really changes your perspective on a lot of this stuff. Because yep. yep. like, like, you know, I mean, when I can tell my kid that things are bad, but my kid has a lot of goals that they're trying to accomplish at any given time. <laughs> and I don't get to dictate what they are. So like, if I tell them that something is bad, that's information. 
what are they going to do with that information? <laughs> right? Like they, one thing is when they're mad at me, they might do it right? Like because they know that I think it's bad. Right. Or they know that it is bad. Right. Or when they feel like misbehaving. Right. Or if they want to show that they're being transgressive. Right. Yeah. Because but they I, want to draw I, attention for it. Yeah. Right? I, like, I just back saying, like, you know, like I started out here, like basically putting up a straw man here <laughs> saying, that, like, you know, this, this type of specialized discourse is like, you know, is a problem. Repeat, is it a problem? Like, no, no, I don't I don't think anybody's going around saying that. Like, it, it is it just it is what it is. It's like, no, 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 no. I do, Mark, don't tell yourself short. I mean, anyway, go ahead. But like I, it is useful, I think, to just like to step back for a moment and evaluate this specific phenomenon um, and how yeah. it is like, you know, how it is like. um accelerating you know in in uh in the way that uh you know discourse happens on the internet now how it happens with young people and how it happens again in like the in the context of video gaming which like you know it, 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 it has its inclusive moments it has its very exclusive and alienating moments as well too right to your points of in groups yeah now groups so this right? is, when you said there was a problem with it this is this is the problem with it right where like the function by which it operates has to do at least in my opinion with the style in which young people acquire language by interacting with their peers in the context of their social activities. I mean, again, who, whether you interact with your peers in the context of a social activity, uh, you know, an activity versus, you know, an engagement of another sort is a, is a podcast we've already done. And we're also not the super experts on that. But there's the there's the micro. That's the sort of that's the sort of micro element that creates the sort of beginning of the fractal. But the problem with humans is our networks get real big. You know, our thought networks get real big, our idea networks get real big, our social networks get real big. And because this is an emergent phenomena, if you know anything about emergent phenomena, when they scale up, they don't necessarily stay the same. Right. Like that's that's one of the big kind of things that people had to come to terms with. And a lot of people haven't come to terms with it. The idea that that there's a flaw, there's a big flaw in Western reductionism that doesn't have to do with like Eastern philosophy, but in fact has to do with the idea that over time and space, as you scale up part to whole relationships, you know, small changes, small variations as you scale up can lead to very big changes and you don't necessarily know what the final product looks like in a process of, of uh, expanding over time or space uh, just from what the parts are. You need to go through every step and see it at every point or just like look at it at the end and be like, well, this is what it looks at, at the end. Right. Mm. Um, and, and these are this is true for biological systems, social systems. Uh, at least, I mean, this is again, I could go into detail why I believe this. Uh, this is my belief. This is like my opinion. So I'm sure there you can have your own opinion on it. Um, but my sense from this is uh, is that the phenomenon of a large gatekeeping video game community that might have various endemic, you know, quality, you know, qualitatively essential, right? Like this is the kind of experience you have in this group and it is replicable. Like I can say I had it here. I can say I'd have it here and on a large scale and have like really problematic implications about bias and like sort of systematic exclusion of specific kinds of people to the point where it leads to big social problems. Like there's no particular reason that just because putting one block on top of the other is fine, that putting a thousand blocks on top of each other isn't going to fall over. Right. So, like, I guess that's that's the super simple example of it. But it's like, OK, OK. okay. Yeah. yeah. OK. So I guess what we're talking about here is like, you know, uh, this sort of specialized vocabulary that we're talking about here is, you know, clearly a part of video game culture. Right. And then when you look at video game culture in totality, it has uh, you can point to various toxic uh, elements. I don't like, like to. I mean, I don't I don't like the word toxic. I try to avoid it. 
um, because it feels unspecific. But um, yeah, sure. You know, I mean, toxic in video games. I mean, that there's another word that means a different thing in every game. Sure, yeah. <laughs> like in every, yeah, like yeah, it's no, a word that you have to pull in there. So. But no, yes, correct. And when I say I don't mean to say it, I mean more like, well, what do you mean by toxic? You know, because because something that's toxic hurts everybody and hurts everybody in sort of a vaguely equal measure, but also is like not uh, people often say something is toxic when it's not actually. Yeah, toxic. You, you, well, you did a better job by, by, by listing out the specific uh, toxicities yeah. <laughs> earlier, right? The exclusivity, <laughs> well, yeah, the like, sex, sexism, the racism, the various. Yeah, yeah. And again, uh, and I don't want and I think that it's very easy also to lean on those things as the only things that are happening because, you know, because of our own biases of what we want to see and what we expect to see and what upsets us. Because there are a whole lot of video game communities that uh, are not very visible to outsiders or you know, that are also outgrouping. And, and if you want to evaluate what they're doing, you should look at who they are. And, and, and at the same time, you can't use that strictly to ignore other things. So, OK, so to get more specific, the idea of gatekeeping through language. Um, I mean, certainly that's a thing that happens. Right. In, in all sorts of ways in life. You know, there's this place called, uh, you know, France. <laughs> where they speak this <laughs> French, right? And if you're not in France, you know, and and you you come in here and you're talking in another language, they might not like you to be coming into France with your language. And if you're not in France and you bring your French over there, it might not work, right? Because they don't might not want you there. There's a place called Germany, right? And like if you're in you're in Germany and you try to walk over to France, they're gonna fer- they're to- gonna ferry that port is what they're gonna do. <laughs> If you're one German guy and you walk over to France, try to get more people to speak German, then you're just being annoying. But if you're a million German guys, ah, there you go. Oh, and I, this is, of course, ex- exaggeration. Um, and I don't saying that like I'm not saying that video games are literally Hitler, but I feel like I have to because we talked about Usenet and that's a required uh, pull in uh, Usenet. But uh, but no, no, no. I mean, OK, so I don't have a I would want to focus rather on some sort of specific ill but I guess just the feeling of discomfort, like, are we doing a bad thing by using video game slang in a way that makes people feel excluded? Um, I feel like language, when you're talking to people, the important thing to remember is that everybody has, well, again, neurotypical, it's not everybody. Everybody has, everybody has different language skills. Not everybody is able to do everything in language. Some people, their use of language is fundamentally different. I never want to forget that. But that it is often the case and and sort of frequently the case that you yourself can change your mode of talking in different situations and with different people. Right. Like and so and you can be aware you can try to be aware of when your mode of talking is having a particular effect on a particular person. But, you know, you can't always see all the people who see everything you say. Right. So, like, you know, it's um, I, I don't think cheese is what's doing it. You know, but but I think that, okay. here's another angle on it, which which is the tail and which is the dog. Right. Is the language excluding people or is the language a reflection of the in-grouping and out-grouping that's already happening? If I had to choose one, probably the latter. I mean, yeah, I presented it that way and that makes the 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 choice seem a little bit more obvious. But like and I, but yeah, I mean, like that, that that's a question, right? It's like, well, you should stop talking in such a way that excludes people. Yeah, but I still exclude people. Right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> they're still not allowed. I still kick them out. I still shame them and make fun of them. We all roast each other all the time. And those of us who can take it stick around. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that that, uh, you know, developing a vernacular can feel empowering to you, even if it's it's hurtful to others. And but whether that's a good or bad thing is dependent on the situation. 
Um, so I don't really know if there's a universal answer in much the same way that there's not a universal definition of cheese. Right, but right, it's right. worth being mindful. I guess that's the other outgrouping. That's the other effect of this whole emergent phenomenon concept, right? Is like if it's the case with emergent phenomena where you take very simple rules and and very simple interactions and you build out large complex systems based on those simple interactions, multiplying and interacting with other factors over and over and over again. And over time, you can see these core operations change in in how they operate and then what what becomes the observable properties of the larger system, how different it can be at different scales. Then I guess part of it is like there's not an easy answer for your own particular social group because your social group is an emergent system. Right. That like has come out of small operations that have interacted with like small factors. If the reason that this language exists at all has something to do with chaos and that language has a relationship with chaos, then it would be uh, inconsistent for us to expect the interactions with this system to not themselves be chaotic at times. Yeah. Uh, And in that case, it's like, you know, that means you need to observe this situation that you're in. And, you, and 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 also, even if you identify a rule of thumb, you will probably have to intervene on a small level, you know, in, in order to you know blow the butterfly back in the direction that you want, um, even if it doesn't go in the direction that you want, I suppose, which yeah. is basically like attend to your communities. Right. Take care of your people. Be nice to people. Understand that these are things that could happen, uh, but also appreciate that, you know, there's a lot of variation in how an emergent system like this could behave. You know, it doesn't have to be one way. Yeah, uh, so what I would say about like language, language communities. Yeah, and you're 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 addressing the kind of the question I wanted to as we start to wrap this up here. When I want to ask, like again, on behalf of our, our absent regular host, rather, right, like why you should care about these sorts of things, right? And like I, I don't ex- expect you know to uh, we are going to enlist rather into the hardcore video game culture that we are like you know kind of barely scratching the surface of, but are like you know mod- modest participants of. I, I don't expect that at all. Um, but I think it is useful for someone like Matt or anyone else in this audience who is not. Kind of, you know, uh, partly in, involved and in, in immersed in this culture to like at least be aware of it, right? Because all the phenomena that Pete just described there um, are happening at just like at, at lightning fast speed um, in this like very unique way. Again, because of the unique interactive, participatory, and emergent behavior um, components of, of video game culture, and um, you're doing yourself a disservice if you're um, if you're trying to remain ignorant of it. Let's put it that way. But to end on a positive, it's note, interesting. Again, it's like, fun you know, it is, too. Is it endlessly it's fascinating important. and fun, even yeah. if you don't like, you know, are actively or not actively playing video games yourself? Oh man, speaking Sorry, of which, Pete, what, what are you actively? What are you actively playing? Uh, you know, I can't help myself. I still play a lot of Tekken. I I love Tekken 7. Tekken 8 is coming out soon, man. We're getting the trailers. We're getting the trailers for the new Tekken 8 characters. Uh, and they look a lot like the Tekken 7 characters. <laughs> Actually, can I talk to one Tekken 8 controversy that I really appre- that I really like? I, this Please. is one of my favorite controversies. Absolutely. So so are you familiar with Tekken at all, Matt? Mark, we talked about it a couple times, right? I yeah, the that. fighting game. We, we tried to play it once. Like, I have a yeah. copy of it sitting on my computer, or not, you know, yeah. not notionally that, you know, we could actually, you know, 1v1 each other and you would beat the living daylights out of me but uh yeah i mean you know what it's 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 the kind i mean yes you're, you're would, not wrong would you would you cheese me pete you could cheese me would I you. Cheese I'd be you? Okay, but yeah well in tekken i don't hear the word cheese a lot in tekken i think mm-hmm. you would much more mash each other <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh in the sense of mashing meaning hitting buttons 
which is another sort of fighting game slang for throwing out like punches and kicks and other sorts of interactive moves. Uh, in, in Tekken, so much of Tekken is knowledge checks that pretty much everything is cheese by the other definitions <laughs> in the sense that if you don't know what the other person is doing, it's very hard to react to it and, and beat them, which means that there's a huge advantage at being the proactive player and mashing your buttons as much as you can yeah. uh, at the lower levels. And then as you get to the higher levels, once you know what's going on, you can very easily counteract it. Um, but are you familiar with uh, Paul Phoenix, Mark? I'm not, no. My, my knowledge of Tekken begins and ends basically with like the picture I have on my computer and what I've heard from you. Paul, Paul Phoenix, in my opinion, is like an all-time great uh, video game character, at least histor- historically, if not literally, which is that like Tekken started as an exhibition of 3D rendering technology that became a video game, which it's is like why it's... Like Sega had- Saturn? Is that right? No, no, it's for the arcades. Like, Arca- the, Oh, okay, but, okay. Yeah, sorry, sorry, continue. It was, but no, but sim- I mean, yeah. It's it, that's Virtua Fighter you're thinking of. Right, 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 yeah, right. Virtua Fighter, similar, similar system, a uh, similar uh, system of fighting. Similar, it's a 3D fighter. Uh, Tekken, I think you could be very influenced by Virtua Fighter. But the point being that like one of the 3D shapes they were able to create is this dude with this giant flat top haircut. He has this sort of skyscraper flat haircut. Have you seen that guy around? Um, I mean, I'm thinking of Guile from Street Fighter, but it's clearly yeah. not the same thing. So imagine Guile from Street Fighter, except his hair is like a foot taller. Okay. Right. Now you have Paul from Tekken, okay. who is like suspiciously, except he wears, he's a karate guy and he wears a karate gi. So he looks like Ken from Street Fighter, except he has Ryu's hair. He has a Guile's haircut and it's like a foot tall. Right. And uh, and he starts out as one of the major characters in the story. But over time, he has become a joke character because he's just too absurd and silly to take seriously. So like he started out with a rivalry against like the main guy in Kazuya. But he's lately in the last few games had a rivalry with a bear that he attempts to fist fight. Uh, As one does, yes. <laughs> yes, like you do. Um, and, but, ev- but every game he comes back and he has this giant skyscraper haircut. And uh, that's like the thing that defines him as a person. And in the new game, in the trailers, he doesn't have a skyscraper haircut anymore. And it's like shocking. Now, granted, there was a time in Tekken 4 where he had a sort of Nickelback haircut or like a Goo Goo Dolls haircut, which was a little bit different. And of course, the games have customization options, so you can change his haircut. But in Tekken 8, he has shown up with the Karen haircut. Where like it's been huh. swooped huh. over. <laughs> I'm, I'm, like a, I'm, I'm seeing a picture of both of these here, and um, yeah. that that the description is accurate. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like engaging with the fact that Paul now has a, a Karen haircut mixed with an undercut is like a very interesting moment in video game literary history for those who do know all the glosses. <laughs> Pete, are people <laughs> are people big mad about this? Uh, yeah, they were, and now there's so many new characters that have come out that people aren't big mad about it anymore. What does big mad mean, Mark? <laughs> um, extremely upset. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if this is this is that phrase is particular to um, internet um, video game discourse and slang, but um, I've come across it and applied it to people being um, you know very upset about um, stuff in video games, which on one level is more or less inconsequential, but on uh, a different level, like has deep meaning as you just yeah. described. And why does it have deep meaning? Well, because a, an emergent a community that formed from emergent uh, phenomenon decided that it yeah. was important. <laughs> yeah, that deep meaning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so the idea that that so one of the weird things about Paul is he's consistently one of the most popular characters to play, at least in the United States. And yet he hasn't really been in any of the story in like 15 years, which I don't think is the true of many other video game franchises where like it's like Mario isn't just about like Toad and the Koopa Troopas and Mario never appears in the story right now. Paul isn't Mario. But he's at least Wario. <laughs> he's at least like Waluigi. He's, he's in like the top four or five people. Um, you know, he's at least Princess Daisy, 
right? Um, at least in terms of how often people play him and how much they like playing him. But he is just sort of too weird. I mean, he's almost he's both too weird and not weird enough because the only thing he really has is a stupid haircut. And and like and, and then it's just like you can't get past it. So they give him intros like, oh, he's going to punch through a brick wall because he's super strong. Right. Or like he's going to like say, yeah, or no pain, no gain. You know, and like he's this sort of fool because um, uh, other characters in Tekken also have stupid haircuts, but their haircuts were not so stupid that they totally destroyed their personalities. And so I'm really <laughs> curious. <you> know, <laughs> I now that Paul finally, after however many decades, no longer has the same stupid haircut uh, on a default basis, but has this new stupid haircut. I wonder whether he'll come up with some new personality. I'm really hoping he shows up in the new story in a big way. Um, and I don't, and I hope, I mean, I also hope that he, that the haircut is a result of him trying to cram that skyscraper haircut into a motorcycle helmet. And it just like flooping over. (laughs) 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 Like if you imagine with just a terrible hat head, uh, I think it works. So that's that's to be an in-game cosmetic is a motorcycle helmet that actually has like the top cut out of it. Oh man, that would be great. Dome to cut, to to cover his hair. You can wear a motorcycle helmet in Tekken seven, but you cannot wear a motorcycle helmet with a uh, sunroof. That is not an option. Someone should ROM hack that. There you go. ROM hack it. Awesome. 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 Oh, man. So, yeah, Mark, did you have anything else about the games you're playing you wanted to share? Uh, no, just that, the, well, people are big mad about um, various things about Jedi Survivor. Um, uh, in particular, it's a very buggy PC launch, and people are big mad about lots of uh, PC launches as well. And it's an interesting phenomenon. We're talking about it on the discourse, um, our overthinking it discourse. A discord discord where you have yeah. the discourse um so if you're interested in that uh, shoot us an email at podcast at overthinking.com and uh, we can hook you up with that excellent well then the last thing i'll say on the subject is that i did recently watch and i'll link this in the show notes a speed run of plants versus zombies the cell phone game <laughs> that i used to very much enjoy and let me tell you there's a lot more that goes into speed running plants versus zombies than you ever would have imagined there's a lot of like memorization there's a lot of like fair amount of dexterity i think as you try to do certain things in very quick succession uh there's a lot of uh, different modes of thinking about problem solving that you have to employ uh, and it really seems like the people who've committed themselves to this thing have signed some sort of horrible faustian bargain like <laughs> Like they seem to be enjoying themselves, but you also kind of like wonder, like you can tell when they're talking that they on some level realize that they could be doing something else with their lives. You know, like and I know that's true for all of us who play video games. And of course, speedrunning, you know, has a particular pride to it. And and it definitely has a culture and communities and, you know, being part of the community. And I'm not bashing the Plants vs. Zombies community, but I'm just saying that, like, it's such an unlikely game to speedrun. And because it, ta- it also takes a really long time to beat the entirety of Plants vs. Zombies. And so, like, uh, and it's also a game that, like, seems like it doesn't change speed very much. So you have to, like, memorize what's happening before you even know whether things are going faster than they might otherwise go. Um, but if I did have to say any big takeaways that I that I got from the speed run, uh, it would be that it really is the case. And I think this is true in many things in life, that the more you understand about uh, the, the the specific things that you're likely to face, then the more useful high risk responses seem to become, mm. right? Like like so, there's particular plants in Plants vs Zombies. Did you play Plants vs Zombies, Mark? Oh yeah 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 yeah. You got to yeah. put the plant those sunflowers, man. You got to get your sun. Yeah, exactly. So you plant you you're you're protecting your house, which has a gassed lawn, uh, and you're planting plants on your lawn. Of course, it's native plants for pollinators, right? 
that are then going to allow you to repel a zombie invasion by attacking the zombies in various ways. So you plant sunflowers to get sun uh, that you then use to plant pea shooters and and spike traps and coconuts and all sorts of nonsense. Uh, but there are certain plants that are referred to as instants that can insta-kill a zombie, but that are consum- – they're basically consumables. They get expended when they do it. So like the squash will jump up and squash a zombie, right? Like the cherry bomb will blow up and kill a bunch of zombies around it. And when you're just playing it casually, uh, you tend to not use these very much except in emergency situations, right? Because the way the game is put together from a casual perspective is as a survival game and you don't know what's coming. It's just wave after wave of zombies. And so you try to adapt with a flexible strategy that can be responsive to the situation, but is kind of a solid defense, Right. So like the more you know about which zombies are coming when the more trade offs you can make about, well, I'm just going to build the extra sunflowers because I know I can get away with it because I'm going to get all eight of these zombies with a cherry bomb and they're all going to land in that one spot because I'm going to let this one zombie hit my lawnmower and run down that lane, which is going to prevent zombies from spawning there for X number of seconds. Right. And so like but <laughs> and it's really wonderful because you, you like speed running depends on this sort of thing where it's like you have to play a very high risk style and use your consumables, your instance to to maximum effect in order to apply the like 50 percent rule of damage to the current wave of zombies quickly to have the next uh, wave of zombies show up as fast as possible, which is how you speed run the game. And if you extrapolate this into real life, it definitely gets into situations where like. You know, you're not building that to to talk about France and Germany again. You're not building the Maginot line here, people like you're actively your active defense is based on a proactive understanding of what you're dealing with. And as a result, if something gets through, you could just be game over. You know, like the risk becomes very asymmetrical in a Plants vs. Zombies speedrun because you might not have the fallback position that you would have if you were just playing it casually and uh, building fewer sunflowers and taking the game slower. So I just I felt like that was really interesting. And I mean, I don't think it's a. I don't know which way to take that lesson. You'd have to apply you it to your you, situation. You gotta. You gotta get that published in the Harvard Business Review, Pete. <laughs> let's let's make this happen. Plants versus zombies versus systemic risk. There it is. There, there it, is. it is. All right. I think we've gamed ourselves out for now. Hey, do you want to hop on some Left for Dead after this? <laughs> I mean, I, I would love to actually, but uh, it's been it's been a long weekend. Oh, sorry, Back um, for Blood. We did we play Back, back for I, Blood. Oh yeah, we, we should we should get back on uh, that. Or, or should we though? Yeah. Is that no, the, not really. No, it's too, I don't like it game, that much. Game's dead, bro. You should play game's this dead. game called Tekken that I that you got. It's really great. You should play it with me, and then I'll beat you a whole bunch of times in a row. And then I'll keep telling you you're getting better. And, and I mean it well. I'm trying to be friendly. I'm trying to help you. But you're going to get really frustrated, and you're going to quit. And that's how yeah, fighting games work. Sounds like I'm going to rage quit, Pete. You go, whoa. That's, and you know what? I think at this point, we're going we're gonna to flip our table. We're going to throw our controller. We're going to rage quit the Overthinking It podcast. Mark, thanks so much Arr. for this week. Arr. Mark, you are, in fact, indispensable. Thank you for joining uh, me here today. I really My appreciate pleasure. it. And uh, and I, we appreciate you, too, listeners. So please, if you want some more overthinking from Mark or me of any of our sordid band of, of wonderful people, please uh, check out our Discord and visit us on the web at Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve, deserve. I tried to look up what cheese meant on Fortnite, and I think it was just a sticker you could get. And I just didn't want to go down that rabbit hole.
a banner. I think it's a flag. I don't know. I don't know. There's just some games I have difficulty looking at straight in the face, like the Ghostbusters trap or the sun during an eclipse in Fortnite's one of them. <laughs>